and welcome disc golfers to the Hitting the Line podcast. This is episode three. This is part two of our Disc Golf World Championship episode series. I'm your host, Jad Rehan. As per usual, I'm joined by my brother, Nasser. How you doing, Nas? Jad, what's up? We are in the middle of World's Week. Things are starting to get serious, and we've got some entries to make. Ooh, yes, we do. We just got done with two rounds at the World Championships. Uh, first round was at Mulligans, which is where we'll be for round three. And we just finished round two at the Fort. Nas, take us through our standings. All right, well, going into day three, we have at the top of the leaderboard, Emerson Keith, number one, followed by Calvin Heimberg, Paul Macbeth, and James Conrad. Talk about a who's who of a lead card moving into day three of the World Championships. On the chase card, we'll have Kale LaVisca, Mason Ford, Kevin Jones, and Nate Sexton. And then we'll have another great card chasing that Ricky Wysocki, Chris Dickerson, Ezra Aderhold, and Greg Barsby. The legend. And there is only, Jed, four strokes separating those three cards. Wow. So you're <laughs> telling me Greg is only four strokes back? So you're telling me there's a chance. Greg is only four strokes back. Wow. Let's go, Barsbarians. What are, what are you seeing out of the, out of the top three cards? Um, what are your surprises? What are you not so surprised to see? Uh, tell me about it. What do you think? Emerson Keith and James Conrad, I think, being the slightly bigger surprises maybe than Calvin and Paul. Jed, what do you think? Well, I'm not so much sweating the lead card. I think those are all the same bases we expect. You can even say James Conrad to a degree. Of course, he has a top four. Look at that second card. Kale LaVisca, uh, Mason Ford, and Nate Sexton. Kevin Jones is on there too, but uh, Sexton, Kale, and Mason Ford. Um, Mason's coming off of the world championship with the mixed doubles. I believe it's his girlfriend. Is that right? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of the Manduhanu sisters. Um and Nate shot hot uh, both days. You just love to see it. I mean, he's getting up there in age, but he never seems to lose it. He's always been the same guy. In uh, in a face that always seems to come out in some of the biggest tournaments uh, is Kale Lavisca. Nas, nice. you, you like to see that? Yeah, you know, I think I think Kale shot really well today at, at the fort, and uh, you know, people kind of know him as a woods player and maybe not a power player. But the reason he's up here, tied for third after day two is, is uh, like we talked about before, Mulligans is not necessarily a bomber course. So uh, anybody who's accurate and has decent distance can score well there if you can stay in bounds. So it's really no surprise that we see Kale up there playing well. No surprise to see Kev uh, Kevin Jones tied for third on that chase card. Nate Sexton, I think, kind of surprised everybody with a 10 down at Mulligans, uh, and he was our leader after day one. Um, Ricky Wysocki, Chris Dickerson, I mean, just – Excellent, excellent golf coming up here soon. Yeah, I'm not shocked by Chris Dickerson's play today. I am a little shocked um, by Ezra's and Ricky's. Um, Ricky's being, I thought he underperformed uh, than he should be in that moment. Ezra way overperformed. I think Chris Dickerson performed about exactly where you'd expect him to on a wooded course. Um, so we got yeah, we got a fun three, three more sweet. we got a fun three more days ahead of us. That's the MPO. What we've seen and what we think. Uh, let's go to FPO. Much like we expected, uh, the FPO field is headed by Paige Pierce, Katrina Allen, Lisa Fakus, who we might say is uh, somewhat of a surprise, Kristen Tatar, 
Maria Olivia, who I've heard about, but haven't actually watched her play. Haley King and Ella Hansen. And then one more, Alexis Mandahano. So that is our top 10 or so, or our top two cards going into day three of Worlds in the FPO division. Jad, what do we uh, see here? What do we notice and were our predictions about what was going to happen correct? The answer to that last question is definitely yes. The women, the first two rounds have played out exactly how you would expect them to. Uh, just as we mentioned, uh, the fort is what was going to keep it close, and then the tops would come off. Um, the ceiling, so to went, speak. <laughs> the, the the tops would come off the ceiling when our farther throwers, such as Paige, Katrina, uh, Haley, played well. Um, when they got a chance to use their arm, the separation would begin. Lisa made it up there 100% C1X for the day. Yeah, shout out Lisa Fake is 100% C1X. I, I believe it's That's for the whole legit. tournament. I'm not positive. Um, she she has always put it really well. So yeah. What was that? So other than Sorry. Lisa Fakus, um, some other names that are coming kind of jumping out. Uh, I see Ella Hansen, like we had mentioned, with the top ten so far. Uh, we're noticing Heather Young is a little bit. I think farther down there. Th that's actually quite a surprise to me. I thought both these courses suit her pretty well, and she's a great putter too. Yeah, she is plus two. So th there is a kind of a big separation here, right? So you've got uh, Haley and Cat at 11 and 7 down respectively, and then once you get past that first card, or once you get past, sorry, that second card, you're already looking at scores that are positive. Um, so I really don't think any of those chase card folks really have a chance to make a run at page or cat except Haley. Uh, we know um, if it wasn't for a triple bogey today, Haley would be in second place actually. So Haley is still there. Sarah Gilpin is right there at, mi at minus three still, but then you've got Owen Scoggins, Valerie, Ella Hansen, Heather Young, Jessica Weiss, all kind of, you know, 14 strokes behind. So, yeah, I would love to see Kona's name up there. Um, it's not unfortunately. So it really has, like you said, it, the cutoff is at Haley King. It really has turned into a five horse race. I'm not even sure if Kristen Tatar has the um, ceiling to get there that Haley King does. I'm not sure if we're going to see a 1030 plus out of Kristen like you might see out of Haley. So it still even could only be a four horse race. I mean, Paige and Cat show, right? That's kind of what, what we said moving or going into this week. So it's coming out like that. We'll see how another round at the fort treats them tomorrow and uh, see who our winner is in a couple more days. Come on, Katrina. All right. Now we get to the part of the podcast where we get to break down our entries for the past two rounds of the World Championships. We'll talk about how our, how our picks went right and maybe some bad beats or misses from the first two rounds. Jed? How did you do? Well, I was in for $150 and went out for $520 for a profit of $370. We almost scooped. We were nervous about the overs the whole week. We knew that Mulligans was going to be very scoreable. So the overs were worrying us. My over picks were Jeremy Colling. Paul Macbeth, and I believe that's it. And I just stacked them in a bunch of different ways. I had a Calvin Heimberg. Anyways, our swing plays were Jeremy Colling getting a 100-plus foot throw-in. We had him on the over. He hit exactly 54, which is what he was projected. 
And it looked like we were going to lose a whole bunch until Paul Macbeth decided to double bogey the shortest hole on the course. Oh, we both we both uh, scored because of Paul's double bogey. Yeah, that that one sent me through the roof and was the whole swing. It was as predictable as we thought it would be. And it all comes down to strategy at that point. Yeah. Uh, well, I also had some success. Um, I did three two-pick power plays. My first one was Adam Hammes. Uh, I took him on the under with a 51. He got a 50. And I took Yuli on the over. Um, he had a very low score of a 53, and I thought there's no way he shoots that. So I hit that. That was a triple up. My second one was James Conrad on the under. Under 52.5, he shot a 50. And then Paul on the over. And I know you hate to take Paul or Ricky or Eagle or someone like that on an over because you always just assume they're going to play well. But sometimes the easiest play is to take whoever has that lowest line or very close to the lowest line, choose the over, and just hope they don't have you know, a crazy day. Hope they just play great and not incredible. Um, so I hit Conrad and Paul for the two-pick power to triple up. And then my final one from the first round, actually not my final one. Um, sorry, I made four picks or four entries. My second one that hit, was Kyle Klein on the under, 51 and a half. He shot a 50. And then Drew Gibson, I had on the over on the 52. He hit exactly 52, Jed, which allows you to get paid back 50%. So I even, though I didn't technically hit both, um, that was still a winner. So I got back. Yeah, let's entry. let's go over that. Yeah, go ahead. It's something we had talked about right before this is that, you know, if two guys are projected half a stroke within each other, say a 58 and a 59, or 58, excuse me, 58 and a half or a 59. Both of them, if you choose under, you have to hit the 58. But it does it does matter which of those two you pick because if it's the 59 and you tie them, you get half your money back on that guy. Uh, that happened with me with Jeremy Colling. It was a, a power play with two guys. I hit one of them and then his hit the line exactly. So I still made a profit on it. Yep, same. So, it, so when it comes down to two guys and you're like, oh, well, their unders or overs are the same, you might want to consider leaning on the guy on the even number and not the half. Good that point. way you have that tie in play still. And I mean, when you have multiple entries in play, that can mean the difference between profit or not profiting. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great point to keep in mind when you're looking at, at those lines and looking at players with maybe similar lines. And then my last entry, Jed, was my only loser of the day was a two-pick power again, and I had Anthony Brilla on the over. I didn't think he would play well. Um, for whatever reason, I just didn't see him shooting well, and he shot great. He shot a 51. Um, I had him over 52 and a half, which looking back was probably a mistake. I had Emerson Keith on the under, just like we talked about in the last episode. We were both thinking that Emerson Keith could play very, very well. So, of course, I had to pick him on an under because he had showed us the two rounds previous that he could shoot a score just like that. So although um, Emerson Keith was a great pick there, Barella on the over was not good. So that was my miss. Um, but we both finished in the green for day one. Now let's take a look at day two. Jed, you want to talk about our uh, entries from today? Yeah, today was at the fort. And what we know about the fort is it's going to input a lot more variance. When more variance is in play... You're going to want to scale back on on the amount that you played. I had 150 in play for day one. Day two, even though I made almost a $400 profit, I still scaled back. Uh, I went with 150 the first day, and then at the four, 
we put 90 in play. I had a small win, 90 in play, out for $104. All right, $14. Let's go. And it all it all came down to my most expensive power play. It was $20. James Conrad under Simon Lazat over Kevin Jones under for $100. I went 4 for 4 at Mulligan's day 1 and 1 for 7 day 2 at the fort. It only takes that one, guys. Nas, how did you fare on the day? I did pretty okay at the fort. Um, I had a total of three entries. One was a triple up, one was a loss, and one I got half my money back. Um, But like you said, it was the one that made me a winner for the day. So I'm pretty stoked moving into day three up on days one and two. All right, next let's take a look at the board. The board. And talk about how we are going to construct our entries for round three of the world championships. Jed, is there anything that jumps out at you? Well, at first glance, it's exactly how it was at Mulligan's the first round. You're kind of scared of the overs. You're very scared of the overs. Because you know anybody can shoot hot. I feel like I'm trying to predict whether... To me, this isn't going to be an aggressive day for most players. Being that there's going to be a lot of strokes to make up. And if you're going to make them up, it better be here. Because there's that 14 in range, that 13 in range. Definitely. So I, I am scared. I, I like all the unders. I hate the overs. I went with just one five-pick flex play. Let's hear it. This is free money, people. I scaled back again even farther back. Put in only $50. I did a five-pick flex. Calvin, Nico, Barella, Ezra under... What sticks out to me is the Ezra and the Anthony Barella unders. The Cal, I'm eating the Calvin under here. He's projected for 50, par is 58, so I need yeah, him to shoot you know, a, you know a that's nine downer better. Range. I mean, it's moving day in my opinion. Yeah. So I got Jeremy Colling on the over, and that's it. Nas, what about you? What sticks out to you? How do you feel about uh, this week in general? Well, a lot of similar stuff to you. You know, you hate picking the overs, but so I went with just two, two pick power plays. Uh, I went Ricky Wysocki on the over. So if he shoots an eight down or worse, I'm okay. Uh, as long as he doesn't go nine or 10 down, then that's all right. And then they had Nico with a pretty high number at 54, which I think is only four down. And I know he didn't, he hasn't shot well so far. Um, I think this round three could be one where Nico finally goes under his projected score. So I've got Ricky on the over and Nico on the under for a two pick power play. And then my second one, again, you kind of hate these overs. I'm going Kyle Klein on the over because he could still shoot pretty well and hit the over as long as he doesn't play out of his mind. Should be okay. And then Ezra, they had him at a 53, and I just think that he's got to go under a 53 at Mulligans. He's got all the tools to do it. He's been playing well the past two days. So, yeah, just like you said, kind of keeping the volume and the amount of money in play low. It is day three, but I'm feeling pretty good about my picks. Let's talk about the, the volume in day three thing. Now that we have a sample size, the lines are much sharper. First round, we we went all out. We knew that we were going to, we were hoping, and we did know that we were going to beat the lines. But hitting that line gets much and much harder to do as the tournament goes on. You think it might be easier because we have a sample size, but but so do they. Right. 
So what does that mean for our entries moving forward? It means we want to secure the bag. We want to keep our scale much lower, put less money in play, play more safe, you know, more flex plays rather than power plays to reduce some of that variance. All right, so that's our recap on rounds one and two and also kind of our thinking process, making our entries for round three. But Jed, uh, let's talk about some of the other storylines and highlights of Worlds so far. Uh, did you see James Conrad aced today in round three? James acing hole 16, the island, at the four today. Yeah, of course, that was sweet. James did well. I, I've been stuck in the Brody drama all week um, oh, on Twitter. No. Anybody who doesn't know about the Brody drama, Nas, tell them about the Brody drama. Um, well, from what I can gather, I am blocked. Um, but from what I can gather is he was very upset that the PDGA did not rent out the driving range for the players to be able to use for practice putting and driving. I think someone got hit actually by a ball golfer on day one, which also led to some of this. So Brody's online, uh, you know, trolling the PDGA, um, trying to make it seem like, you know, that they're really failing at something, which I would agree in some ways that they are by not renting out the driving range for the players at Worlds. That seems like a no-brainer. Did, did you see the alleged hidden context today that came out? No, I have no idea what, what you're referring to. I read, uh, this was from Trevor from Foundation, that allegedly half of the driving range was rented out, but because there were golfers there, they weren't letting them throw down the range. But like at that point, it's like, what what's the point of only half it? So then that's when Brody walked in with $1,000. You didn't mention that, did you? No. no Brody walked in with $1,000, which the other hidden context I also heard was that he got it kind of like ponied up, like other players like might have pitched oh. in. He's just he just kind of led the charge. Oh, gotcha. I'm sure he probably paid a majority, but I heard it was like a like a multi people effort. Yeah. He spoke to the manager, paid him a thousand dollars to make the three golfers leave essentially. And yeah, I mean, I think he was actually justified in this. Totally. And I I appreciate him a lot for actually spending that money because like, dude, we know you got it. Like, it's not that. Yeah, we know he has he, it. So. His. I mean, that, that's pennies to what. I mean. Other disc golfers are making pennies to what he's got. So, yeah, I appreciate him doing that. I appreciate the leadership and I'm not mad at him for coming out on Twitter because I think it needs to be highlighted. I think that's pretty pathetic in the world championships when when you don't even have the place to yourself. That seems crazy to me. Yeah, it seems like for a professional event, for the big event, the one we've been looking for after missing 2020, that that would be the type of detail that the PDGA does not mess up. But um and, and normally I'm not one of those guys to be complaining about this kind of stuff, like when we're at public parks and this and that. But those are other tournaments. Those aren't the world championships. I'm, it's something that's just – and he said it right. It's the optics. It doesn't scratch you the right way when, when that's our world championships. That for whatever reason, that's, what is ma- that's what's making Paul McBeth $10 million is the fact that it was the world championships when he was winning. So – that was the Brody drama today. What else did you see out there just in general? No, where's, any uh, headlines? where's Brody standing currently right now in the, <laughs> oh, in the world championship? Is he at know? plus one for the tourney? I, I, I'm not sure. Is he outside the top 80? Look I that up real so. quick. Hey, pull that up real quick. Yeah, Brody currently tied for 109th. I think he's had a couple rough days with a lot of bogeys. Um, actually, he would be someone that I would look back and think that maybe he could shoot his under of whatever his prize picks line is. I, I think he's due for a bounce back. He's been playing below his rating, so I think he's definitely due to shoot a better round than what he has shot so far. He can definitely shoot a better round. We've seen him finish in those top 20s before. What else did you see 
this week? Anything on your mind have, that you've seen? FPO, MPO, drama, social media? Um, I feel really, I feel terrible for Kona. I really feel like she's a top 10 FPO player in the world, and she is not playing like it this week. So I'm kind of bummed out by that. Super stoked uh, that that first round, Paige Pierce got to play with Ju- Juliana Corver, which was really cool. That was cool. Um, Juliana, I think, I'm not sure where she... She, she fell off a little bit today. She, she did really today. well at the Fort. You know, we've been talking about it all week. The Fort is, what, is what's going to keep everybody close. Yeah, she, she could probably make a move back into the top 10 if she shoots well at the Fort tomorrow, and some of these other women don't shoot as good, so... All right, folks, so that's our wrap-up for rounds one and two and looking forward to round three. Uh, So, Jed, do you want to hit us with all those socials once again? Where can the people find us? How can they interact with us? First and foremost, follow us on Twitter at underscore hitting the line. We also got Gmail. That's hitting the line podcast at gmail.com. You can follow me at jad underscore rehan that's j-a-d underscore r-i-h-a-n Nas, what about you you can find me at h-t-n-a-s-s-e-r all right that's it for episode three we will see you guys after worlds for a third installment on our series on the worlds and how our entries did see you guys next time peace <laughs>